So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. In this episode, we talk to Pip Jamieson. Yeah, Pip is the founder of The Dots, which is a platform that connects creative people with potential clients. Pip actually left what many people would consider a dream job at MTV in order to build The Dots. And although she had no background in tech, and she was a female in what's mostly a male-dominated space, and she's dyslexic. She didn't see any of those factors as a disadvantage. In fact, in this episode, we talk about how she leveraged those things to her advantage. In this episode, we discuss the importance of happiness, using dyslexia as a superpower, and what happens when machines take over. You know, the robots are coming, um, but there are three things machines don't do very well. They don't have empathy, they don't have common sense, and they can't mimic that human capability to be creative. So we're here today with Pip Jamieson, who is founder of The Dots, which is a social network that a lot of people have called the LinkedIn for creatives. Pip has a bit of an amazing story. She worked for the British government. She's um, put Dizzy Rascal in a plane on the first ever concert in the air and had what I think a lot of people would call like a dream job at MTV. Quit that to start. I'm guessing people called you crazy for... Starting a, yeah, yeah. starting a social network, right? Yeah, non-tech tech founder starting a tech network, yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with the negative naysaying? Oh, God, I think, I think I went into it so naively. It was literally just I was at MTV and I was going, God, you know, there's just nothing that is designed around me and my friends to help us promote ourselves, help us build our brand, connect with fellow people. And I think I literally was just like, I, I've got this idea. I can basically build a network that's sort of like LinkedIn, but designed around creatives. And um, I think it was just, yeah, sheer naivety that it was going to be really easy to build a tech platform. <laughs> um, and uh, I think I've always been like that in my career, like the gig with Dizzy Rascal. I was like, yeah, I'll take over a plane and I'll do a gig on the way from New Zealand to Australia. And I think naivety is sometimes a great way to enter things because you don't know how hard it's going to yeah, be. I think you learn like, along the way. Like negative, like um, self-belief, I guess. Uh-huh. And, and just having the, the sort of the vision to go, I know I can pull this off. Yeah, it's self-belief and it's also just not knowing anything. I think then you ask questions. I think sometimes if you know a bit too much, you sort of arrogantly go forward in a way that everyone else thinks. And I think when you're doing something that is really kind of just something that no one's done before or that you're not comfortable with, then I ask a lot of questions and meet amazing people and ask for advice and and sort of stumble along that way. Um, So, yeah, it's the naivety of youth. (laughs) So the Dots now has got, is it quarter of a million? Yeah, no, we're over that now. So we're at 350,000 members now and we're growing about 5% month on month. So yeah, it's kind of a bit magic. to That's insane. How do you start when you had zero? What what does that look like? Oh yeah. Um, So at the beginning, I just literally contacted people that I loved um, 
I guess you'd call them influencers, but they're professional influencers. We're not talking about like people that go on Love Island. Um, <laughs> so, and I, I, I just grafted. I, I literally went for hundreds of coffees and just said, this is my vision. This is what I want to build. Will you be like part of the original hundred that's on the platform? And, um, and yeah, people were just really supportive and, and, and joined in those early days. And that meant that we had like a, a buzzing community to begin with who then helped to spread the word, which was kind of amazing to watch. So speak a bit about the, the power of, of asking other people to help, because I think that's, that's something that's obviously followed you through your career. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think I just got good at recognising my strengths and weaknesses and where I needed to plug the gaps. So I kind of actually have what I'd like to call like a bit of a, a portfolio of mentors or sponsors now. Um, I, you know, so I've got amazing people who can help me with um, brands and then I've got amazing people that can help me with raising investment, for example. And I, I was in the early days, I was kind of wanting to do that. You know, I'll have a mentor who I catch up with every every month but I actually found that that was actually quite an inefficient way of their time they were you know really busy people um and also they can't be good at everything so now if I've got a problem with the business I might contact a mentor say 10 times in one week they'll help me through it and then I won't bother them again for like a year um but it will depend on what I'm having challenges with at that individual time and also in the early days I really wanted like women um mentors um and I I kept emailing all these amazing women and I wasn't getting responses. I was like, they're rude. And then suddenly I realized that now I get about 60 emails a day from female founders wanting advice. And it's physically not possible for me to catch up with everyone. So then I realized that actually you can get incredible men who are really interested to see more women come through, uh, especially the ones with daughters. <laughs> so yeah. now I hit up like <laughs> legends who have daughters and they tend to go, yeah, I'll be your mentor. And I'm like, that is awesome. <laughs> Amazing. I, th- I, I love the fact that for what many people would see, like you're a super successful woman in tech, but yet you're still there, like calling mentors, asking for advice, like still learning every day. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I mean, the, the thing with tech is it moves so fast and creativity moves so fast and I definitely can't know it, everything. And I think someone once said to me, the most successful people spend about 30% of their time deep learning. Um, and it's something that stuck with me always. So I'm, I'm, I'm always looking to mentors for advice because they've been there, done that and they can help. And then also just listening to podcasts or listening to books, or I say listening because I'm dyslexic. So it's really hard (laughs) So all listening, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it's definitely, um, it's actually sort of an advantage some female have founders have um, over sometimes male founders. Uh, and some of my mentors say that um, some of the, the men that they support aren't as willing to be so honest. And I'm just there going, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. How do I deal with this? And I tend to get really good advice off the back of it. Obviously, you're saying people getting like 60 emails a day. How did you, you might not want to say this on air, but what's the best way? What are the emails that when people send them to you that you have to respond to? Yeah, I well, I respond to every email, which everyone thinks I'm nuts on. So even just to say sorry, I can't meet you. Um, that's my Saturday. <laughs> but I, um, I think sh- um, being really short in emails is the key to everything. Sometimes I get a massively long email and partly because of my dyslexia, but also just partly just because of time limitations. So I think like one paragraph is way better than a massively long email. And I feel people just can respond to that because they can skim read it, get straight back to you. 
Um, I think just networking events and going out there and just being nice to people. And there's people in my life that I meet at loads of events and didn't even think they'd be mentors. And then we'd start sort of talking about an issue and then suddenly I'm calling them up as a mentor. And so it's, it's, I think just being nice to people and getting out and about. And, and also when you have a meeting with someone asking if they know someone that could help with another issue you're having. So an intro is always a lot stronger than if you go in cold. So you kind of realize that you probably have a brilliant network already of people that at least will know people that can help you and calling on them and then asking them for intros always works. Yeah. I was talking to a, a young artist yesterday. She was complaining that she didn't have an audience. And I said, every single person has an audience built in because if you've got friends, that's how we built our company. We started off just posting to our, our small, like what, 100, 200 friends on Facebook and just saying, we're doing this thing. And, and I think it's so important, like even just a, an acknowledgement, like a like or a share of, of someone's work is, is so powerful, especially in those early days when you're building momentum. Yeah. And I think what's lovely about our community is that everyone really does want to support each other as well. So you have to put yourself out there. And I think that's one thing that when I started the dots worried me in terms of like some people are just really shy about putting their self out there, but you've got to put your stuff out there. I think our, we have a zero arsehole rule on the dots. So I will delete bad, nasty people. So I just wanted to create a safe environment where people felt comfortable putting their work out there and felt comfortable sharing that work and liking that work and that it builds from there. And I think it's just get it out there. Um, even if you don't think it's that great, get it out there because it will lead to something and it will help build you. A hundred percent agree with that. There was again, another artist I was talking to the other day was taking me through his sketchbook and I said, you need to be putting all of this out into the world because firstly, because people love process and I, we were, I was flipping through the book and got to this one page and I was like, dude, that is incredible. And he looked at it and he was like, really? Out of all of the pages in my sketchbook, you pick that one. And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. And people forget that there's a, there's a 50, 50 rule, like you're 50% of the equation, your audience is the other 50%. And just because you don't, it's not your best work in your opinion. If you put it out there, someone else might respond really, really positively that you never, you didn't see it coming. And we're always our own worst critics, which is the toughest thing. And um, because we do these, I don't know if you've seen these portfolio masterclasses, which um, they're, uh, and they allow people to come and show their work and get advice on their work. And I, um, so that's an event that the dots puts on regularly. Yeah. So we put them on every other month in a different location around a different theme. So we'll do everything from videography advice to like illustration at Royal Academy and, Um, and the way it works is you have 10 mentors on the day, um, who are all leaders in their fields. And then you can come and show your work. We have hundreds of people apply for 30 spots. So we curate down the list. So it's just based on quality. The only rule we have, it has to be over 50% female that attend over 30% BAME. And we also have, um, guaranteed spots for, for example, DNA D shift kids who've not gone through uni and then um you basically get to get feedback on your work and i think that's so important that you're looking at a book because what you're thinking is completely different that someone's thinking about their own work and and uh, yeah we are our own worst critic <laughs> we definitely are so um so let's talk a little bit more more about the dots you've built this incredible community of people that actually give a shit about each other how do you do that God, um, well, God, it's, it's really hard. Um, I think, you know, I think things like 
staying clear to our kind of ethics and values as a business. Um, I think one of the reasons I started the platform is, you know, not only was there nowhere really for creators to showcase their work in a way that made sense from a professional network standpoint, there are lots of places to go, here's my work, but what does that actually lead to? So everything we care about is that that work leads to a collaborator, it leads to a mentor, it leads to a job. Um, but what has kind of binded our community together is a very distinct value set that is very different to that white collar LinkedIn community. So, I, you know, LinkedIn was very much built around, I'm going to get paid as much as possible and I'm not going to really enjoy what I do. I'm going to work at PwC. Um, the reality is, is obviously pay is super important, but what binds our community together as well is pay is as important as purpose. Um, they want to love what they do. They want to love the people they work with. It's a whole different value set. Um, and I think we've always kept really true to that and making sure that we delete profiles if they're nasty <laughs> or racist or anything horrible. Like I literally might, one of my favorite things is just delete um i'd be the worst person running twitter because i would have deleted trump ages (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah i think we've always kept true to that value um a huge part of what we do is around diversity and i think linkedin for me feels like it celebrates homogeneity or being homogenous and like you have to be this like white suited person Mm. everything we stand for is celebrating difference and um and so you know for example at the moment we're 62 percent female on the dots 31 percent bame 16 percent lgbt but we also do a lot of work on socioeconomic diversity and neurodiversity which is dyslexia autism dyspraxia um, and, um, yeah, someone give me a bit of shit that 62% female is not very, uh, diverse, but actually LinkedIn is skews the other way. So I'm happy to skew it the other yeah. way, but in terms of building the community, it's staying true to that values that set that we have, which is very distinct. I call that community. I think the way that, um, I'm talking about the dots to people, the way I describe it is. My, my sister currently is, she's 21. She's obsessed with building her YouTube channel. She's always searching the, the viral hit sensation to get millions of views. That's the important thing. And what I'm, I'm trying to get across to her is you can have an audience of 10. And if one of that audience is the CEO of Apple or, do you know what I mean? Or creative director of wherever, then that's the most important audience that you can have. And I think by having a profile on the dots, you are, you're like, you can throw it, you can scatter gun it out to Instagram to millions of people, but you don't know who they are. Whereas if you put it on the dots, you know that it's going to creative companies. It's going to, I mean, give us the roll call of some of the big brands that are using your platform. So we've, got, we've got about 8,000 brands now, which has been a bit mental, like starting on my house phone <laughs> going up from there. But yeah, I mean, we look after the whole spectrum of the creative industry. So it's everything from fashion brands like, you know, Nike and Burberry to tech companies like Google um, to publishing. So, you know, Vice, Vice, Days and Confused, Repost Magazine, like constantly farm us for like amazing new leads to put in their publications. Pretty much all the advertising industry now, design industry, architecture, for TV companies like BBC all the way to like Vice. I'm not sure if Vice would like to call themselves a TV company, but you know what I mean. Well, they are now. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it's magic. Like the community is always people looking for the next thing or someone to collaborate with, someone to hire for a brand piece or someone to actually feature in a magazine. Um, 
Uh, but like my favorite bit actually is, um, so we do these diversity takeovers. So for Black History Month last year, and we're about to go into our next one. Um, uh, we only feature black talent on the site for a whole month. Um, projects created by black talent and uh, number 10 picked up the list of um, 100 top black leaders and invited them to number 10. And it was one of these right. mental things going, oh my God, like that's the prime minister's office. Not that I'm a massive fan of the prime minister, but anyway, that's the whole time. <laughs> but I was just like, those are the kind of opportunities that, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I've become really obsessed with something in, in tech called time well spent. Um, principle. So a lot of like Instagram and Facebook has been built around trying to get people on there every day so that they can serve up ads. So what they obsess about is daily active users. But how is that benefiting people? You're basically giving your time to make Facebook richer and everything that we obsess about is, is time well spent. If someone bothers to be on the dots, I want that to lead to something that's going to benefit their life or their career. And that's not necessarily volume. That's that's actually you know someone getting into. Hey, how about a collaboration or to feature you in Vice or that's that's what drives me. Yeah, I've heard you say before that um, you're you're fine if people just visit the dots once a week. Oh, absolutely, once a month. Like yeah. you know, it's for me. It's it's time well spent. If you need us, we're here. Um, actually, on our newsfeed, um, you go to the newsfeed and you go down to the bottom of the newsfeed. It says you're all done for the day. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and so it's not like that endless scroll of yeah. crap. <laughs> um, yeah. So I yeah, it's like you know that's it. You know, go back and like you know do what you need to do and hopefully that leads to something that will benefit you just either a daily or monthly or even quarterly if you need us <laughs> yeah and so have you had any communication with those those sort of networks like instagram and places like that yeah i mean i um i'm funnily enough i've i'm on sadiq khan's scale up program at the moment so yeah. sadiq khan is um supporting 15 founders in the uk and um uh, all on like that scale up journey. And I recently was, um, went to the Valley as part of that program to meet all these amazing industry leaders. And I actually went to Instagram and, um, which was a very surreal experience. Um, and we spent like a morning there, which with what you call a fireside chat, you basically sit down with a leader there and you ask them all the questions that you'd always want to ask. Um, you know, hats off to what they've built. I mean, building a social network is so hard, so I will never bag anyone who's managed to do it. I think what sort of worried me slightly about the Valley and what I'm really excited about building a tech company in London is it's in a bubble. Like Silicon Valley is like outside San Fran in the middle of nowhere. They've got these big campuses and I'm realizing they're building tech companies in a vacuum, not mm. near people. Like, you know, they've, they've just campuses and, you know, you suddenly, what I love about London is you've got all these amazing industries all in one city, which is very rare in the world, but you've got so much diversity in thought and so much diversity in issues. And you actually can build tech companies that help people. And I think a Valley, they had first mover advantage, but they were very much, they've built tech for tech's sake. They've sort of forgotten that you're actually meant to be building tech for society and people. <laughs> and that's what I get really excited about London. Cause I think actually, you know, the businesses that I see that are coming out of here, they're very much putting people first. And how do we help people as opposed to the Valley, which very much put the tech first or the, the make as much money as possible first. Yeah. Yeah. I, we often think about, I, I don't know that we would have been able to start our business of, of painting graffiti 
working for big brands in a city other than London. I don't think anywhere else is ready for it. I think New York, maybe. Yeah, um, potentially. But but nowhere else it has that diversity and that kind of culture that's looking forward for that new creativity and that new fun thing. It's like you're never done in London. There's always something new, something you can't keep up. What lots of people don't know, actually, London's the biggest creative cluster in the world. So it's actually bigger than New York. So like obviously in America, there's more creatives in the fact you've got, you know, L.A., San Fran, New York. But like in terms of the clustering of everyone, London's the biggest in the world. So it's it's so I love that all the industries congregate in one place. That's just so magic. So, Yeah. yeah, it must be brilliant in terms of you know, forward thinking creativity and brand yeah. partnerships and everything that can happen here. Especially yeah. within such a small area as well yeah. of London. Like you can walk from here to King's Cross and probably take you an hour, 40 yeah. minutes, and you've gone through almost every single design agencies, architects, <laughs> like interior companies. Everything's kind of within that small area. Like Silicon Valley, you've got that tech bubble. Yeah. Here you've got like a bubble of creativity, which yeah. is kind of amazing. Which is incredible, which is right next to like everything out. It's yeah. so great. I love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of a London fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, ha- we had the, um, one of the creative teams from Nike, from uh, Portland, Oregon, um, come and visit us recently. And, and they, they were echoing that same thing. And it was so cool to see how excited they were to just be in London and be like around other creatives in London and just kind of soaking it all in. And they were like, in Portland, we have to go really, really far to get to anything that's different. Um, and I think we yeah. have that, like you, it's easy to get lost in the city that you live in and, and just take it for granted. And I think obviously we know that a lot of our audience, um, as the podcast is quite new, is are based in London. I think if you are based in London, like take advantage of your city. There's so much going on. Yeah. And um, so how, um, on that note, how do people find out about where to apply to for your masterclasses? So yeah, just head to the dots um, and yeah, just search the dots and you should land straight there. And then on our kind of where it says companies, just search portfolio masterclasses and you'll find our page and you can follow that. And then you'll get like updates whenever we have a new masterclass. And yeah, it's once a month. They're, they're just, they're, they're magic. Cause you know, I, it's funny, you have this, huge community and then it's just lovely seeing the people and just the real world you know I'm a big believer that you know I I think interestingly with LinkedIn it's almost like you kind of meet people offline and then you manage the contacts online we're sort of the opposite way but you meet people on the dots and then you network with them offline and I I just get really excited about real physical networking like we're always promoting not just our we only do those events but we promote loads of other events because I think the power of networks is so important both on and offline and it's not like it shouldn't just be online yeah I think I think people are, forget that really don't mm. they and they they focus uh, all of their attention on online marketing of themselves and I mean well I, I met you first in person and I think an in-person is it's so powerful yeah and there's so many brilliant events around London and like I just it's just brilliant that you can I, I mean we're always promoting everything basically because we're like you know if people can meet in person you make that real physical connection we just kind of connect the dots sorry that was so bad <laughs> <laughs> had to get in there I had yeah. to get in there. 
And so if people <laughs> sign up for your mailing list, then um, you, you curate a lot of, of events and send it out to your... Yeah, so we do like a, um, every month we do one newsletter, which is events and opportunities. But actually there's so many now that we're thinking about actually introducing events into the dots so that people can actually search them as easily as they can search for freelance gigs or um, jobs as well, because there's just so much brilliant grassroots creative events happening at the moment that people need to get exposure to. So That's a great idea. Like, how do you feel? Are there any particular kind of, because I know you've talked about Slumflower in the past, um, any particular kind of people that stand out for you that have, that you've come across through the dots and then seem to go on to do greater things? Yeah, I mean, we, gosh, we, we place so many people now in, in opportunities, but like the ones that really get me are the ones that um, are people that wouldn't have had that opportunity without us so you know everything we're trying to do is democratize creativity i mean what happened when i was at mtv is we just consistently turned to our little black books when it came to commissioning work or people for projects and there just became this inherent lack of diversity because we were just hiring friends of friends to work on projects and that's where creativity becomes really really stale you know if you're not getting this fresh injection of ideas and talent and you know, our differences is what makes us brilliant. And so um, it's the ones where people didn't necessarily either see the creative industries as an opportunity or um, just were finding it really hard to get in because of that like little black book way that we've worked for so long. So yes, Slumflower's a lovely example. She came to one of our masterclasses about a year and a half ago um, and she nearly didn't come because she was so nervous that her work wasn't good enough. Um, and so then she came, she met a couple of mentors and she we actually got back to a couple of others and last time I saw her she was like it just built my confidence each time and now like you know she's massive but it's lovely to be a part of that I mean last week one of the ones that got me was um we just placed this amazing disabled guy in a tech company I won't mention the tech company but this tech company are developing machine learning and they were developing machine learning for a disability charity without anyone disabled on the <laughs> machine learning. And you're like, oh my God, that means we're teaching machines to learn or you're teaching machines to learn without anyone representing the group you're trying to teach the machine to learn for. I mean, it was just mind blowing. Anyway, so he's just been hired. Um, he is absolutely, he's a creative genius, massive disabilities, but absolutely brilliant because of his disabilities not despite of it and um and he got placed and we just sent the most amazing email to me and my team just thanking us and i was like oh my god please don't thank me in a more just world this should be happening i mean they should have someone like they have to have someone like you it's ridiculous so those are the bits which just make me so happy and i always say to people like at our master classes for example if it leads to something email me on a saturday because i work every saturday so it's my little it's my little boost on a saturday and they really do actually people who come to our class like three years ago still email me on a saturday and say oh something happened more on the dots and that's that's the bits i love <laughs> and so why do you think it is that creatives have such a like difficult relationship with getting getting work or getting money or getting paid Oh, I think, I think it's because I think for a long time it was because you didn't want to bastardize your work, which I completely understand. You know, you want to stay true to your creative ethics, but I think what's really exciting about the time we're living in now is that you do, that doesn't have to happen anymore. 
um, you can earn a really good rate for what you do, um, but still keep your ethics and credibility. And I think this is just such an amazing, exciting time in history. I think it's for the first time that brands are realizing they have to be more purpose led. They have to have ethics. Otherwise, people are just not going to go to them. People will vote with their feet. So I think this this is the time where that commercialization and creativity can be in harmony. Um, so I'm just really excited about the future because, you know, in, uh, maybe 10 years ago, there were sort of brands that you wouldn't want to necessarily work with, but there's lots of brilliant purpose-driven, great brands now. I think people need to get over working with brands because if it, if it, if it moves you towards your goals, then, I mean, you can do so many great things with, with working with the brands, with the, with the freedom that allows you to work with brand A here and then get to spend the rest of the month working for a charity because brand A has paid your rent. Yeah. But, you know, it's yeah. like use the brands because they're using you. So you might as well make it a mutual relationship. It's even the way that working with a brand collaborate with them then you could potentially do a project that you couldn't have afforded to do previously but still keep your own style in it make it your own but it's now 10 times bigger it's that thing you always dreamed you would do if you had the money to do it but now you actually do have that money yeah, yeah. absolutely and i think you know that's the thing is you, it's brilliant that people can earn money from their craft and then spend the rest of the time doing other things and side projects they love, yeah. love it. so many like travel influencers are out there now are traveling the world doing all these amazing things, traveling to all these different countries because they're supported by brands and they're still creating the exact same content that they would have if they went out and did it on their own, which is probably how they started. And now the brand is like, I love that content. I want to just put my name within that content somewhere. But now they get to travel to everywhere that they ever dreamed of because they've taken that risk to work with a brand. And I think the taboo's gone now as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, it used to be frowned on, but I, I think that's completely gone now. So everyone's doing brand work that's amazing in our respect. And I think that's wonderful that people lead the way and say, look, you know, this is the way forward. And I think everyone's following suit, which is wonderful. <laughs> so what do you do every day? Oh, wow. Um, every day is so different. Um, so, oh, well, I live, I, live, I live on a boat called Horace. Um, so I live on a, a nat rowboat. <laughs> um, so every morning I wake up on, on, on Horace, which is so magic and like feed the ducks. And then um, I always, wherever I'm traveling in the morning, I'll always listen to books on the way. So I'm constantly p- plugged into books or podcasts, either cycling somewhere or, or and I have a hilarious I have a speaker on the front of my bike so it blasts out the book when I'm at the um, and there was a whole time where I was reading like or listening to massive feminist manifestos so I'd be at the traffic lights and they'd be like everyone's looking at you going what on earth is she listening to Um, so yeah always do that and then every day is completely different I mean I try and spend at least 50% of my time on the product itself so that's kind of um, working with the design product engineer team um, on whatever that whatever we're kind of working on at that time um, so that's I mean kind of I've like noticed a, every time I post projects on the dots you like it and I'm just like oh my god that's yes. automated by the way that's me I do that yet um, but yeah so I, I live in the product because that's that's my passion and I want to make sure that it's working for our community as much as possible but outside of that it's like 
so varied um you know huge part of my role is building a brilliant team so i um i actually my we use something called okrs which are objectives and key results are an alternative to kpis which are hideous um and so my key result um as founder is 10 out of 10 happiness for my team um so uh results are meant to be aspirational um so actually we're we're averaging at 8.5 which is amazing at the moment um but what i love about that is we do a survey every quarter and ask how happy you come into the dots and then I ask like three questions very similar ways like how can we improve the studio to make you happier how can we improve the product to make you happier and what would you do as CEO um so a lot of my job is making sure I'm either bringing on brilliant people and keeping those brilliant people because you know creativity is a team sport and I would not yeah it might be my vision but there is no way I could make this reality without an amazing collection of people around me so a lot of what I do is I'm mum I guess <laughs> is making sure everyone's happy they've got what they need and that can be everything from you know sometimes people just find the office a little too noisy especially if you're an engineer how can I work out solutions for that you know other times people have family or personal issues I I don't want I don't want people to just leave stuff at the door you know life and work are intertwined and so yeah it's kind of looking after my team and making sure they're happy and productive is a big part yeah Adam write that down I think we need to start asking that question what would you do see I think that's so powerful yeah all through those questions right yeah Yeah, that is like the most illuminating one and people are really honest because it's an anonymous survey so I don't know who actually filled in stuff apart from Tom who looks after my SEO which is organic search he just always writes about SEO (laughs) Tom it's meant to be anonymous (laughs) Um, but um, hilariously though two quarters ago they did gang up and it said what would you do as CEO and they said can we get an office dog and I was like oh really so I had like nine let's get an office dog I was like oh I get you too many events in the evening to have a talk with me all the time (laughs) amazing so um how uh, is there any sort of ways that you're um implementing that happiness to your team or in your own life that you think other people could kind of learn from I think I think it's actually what I love about happiness is it's really personal to everyone. So um, actually what I love about it is it's more kind of micro issues that then have a macro effect, I guess, because it can be something as simple as, you know, I've just I've got a two year old kid at home. I just need more flexible working hours. And so I actually love the that it's quite individual to people because. Um, but what's wonderful about that is, you know, with that feedback, we then make it flexible working for everyone in the office. Um, but actually, for example, we give the same benefits to dads as moms. So, um, Harry, who's my product manager three times a week, he leaves at four to go home and bath Archie. And I think it's as important to support men who are dads as well as mothers, because unless we start sharing things or the burden, it's no, things are never going to change. So yeah, it's kind of things like that. And I think it's also just so many businesses just all they care about is you know for example they'll ask something like would you recommend working at this company would be one of their survey results but that's very much about the company that's not about the person and what I love about the happiness is it's about the person um so yeah it's just been a really great great tool I hug a lot as well the team seems to like Yeah, I, th- I think the the secret of life is happiness. Yeah. Um, I think people put they put a, a financial kind of spin on success, and really, success to me equals happiness. And 
Oh, I wish like the government would stop banging on about GDP because it's just this ridiculous, like, let's have the most amount of wealth. It just completely underestimates. Well, it, when you talk about wealth, one, it just misses the fact that there is a huge divide happening in wealth and you've got the super rich and not so. Um, I wish they just flick it to happiness. It'd be great if the government just sent us a, you know, a quarterly survey, how happy you are in the UK. And then you fill out that because that's more important. I mean, there's so much, there's endless research that once money is absolutely important, but once you get over a certain income bracket, where you can live well from there until earning millions, there's no differential in happiness. So we've got to stop obsessing about this kind of huge wealth for everyone and prosperity. And it's just like, actually, we need to make sure that everyone can live well and comfortably. But beyond that, it should all be about happiness because yeah. um, what, what, what's the point? And, and not just happiness for ourselves, but happiness for society as a whole as well. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've built this like amazing empire, super proud of it. And, and I love it to my core, but my happiest times were when we were, when we had nothing, when we were in <laughs> yeah. the trenches, when we were living off of super noodles and, yeah. and in a cold, dingy garage in South Norwood, where <laughs> huddled around a heater. Um, those were, those were such happy times. Maybe, maybe it's only with re- like retrospectively looking back on it that they're happy because we know that we did make it and we know it is a happy ending, but you've got to enjoy that struggle, enjoy the process. I think the process is more important than the final result. It's, um, so on, on that note, like, um, you're, you're one of the most open and honest people that I've, I've ever encountered, which is beautiful. I love it. Um, and you're, you're so willing to talk about failures. How important is it to fail or to at least embrace the failure and not be frightened of it? Oh, so important. Um, actually, I was catching up with a charity yesterday and they were saying, what's the big limitation we would have as a charity in terms of like innovating? And I was saying, it's the appetite for failure. I mean, the thing is, if you're not, if you're not pushing yourself, if you're trying to be ambitious with something you want to do, or you're trying to innovate, or you're trying to be different, you're going to fail. It's just that's the nature of what it is. And so you have to become, if, you, if it's too cruisy, that means you're not pushing yourself enough. And I think, you know, that's very much a mindset shift that happened with me where I was so worried that people would go, oh, she's a failure. And then I was like, I thought, wait a sec, you know, the people I love most in this world, my husband, my family, my great friends, if I fail, they will just be proud that I have tried. And people, if they were like, oh, she's a failure. Well, I don't want those people in my life. And so I suddenly shift my mentality on failure going, what's the worst that can happen? Everyone I care about is not going to leave me because I failed. And then from that moment, I became really comfortable with risk and failure. And um, now I actually really enjoy the kind of lows or the, the, the hard bits, because actually that's when I learn the most. And so when things are a challenge, you learn so much. And as long as you are quite introspective and analyze why that went wrong, uh, for example, I've got like a, a post-it note on my computer that has like, um, all my things, uh, mistakes never to repeat, which I put in, which are the ones of all the things I failed at. Um, and you know, I make mistakes all the time. You know, I've hired really bad people. I've burnt myself out. I've, I mean, raising investment is one of the hardest, most grueling things I've ever had to do. You know, we're constantly struggling with something. Um, but I think the whole trick for me is 
there's an amazing guy called Claude Williams who started something called Dream Nation, which is this um, group in Clapham, which are for kids who've got a big dream. And he said, you are the average of the five people you hang out with most. And for me, that is so true. Like I, this is a really hard journey. So I need to be surrounded by people that challenge me, but in a constructive way, but also people that are my cheerleaders so that I can come home to my husband and go, oh, it's been a really shit day. I cry on his shoulder and he'll go, you're fine. You can do this. <laughs> it's all good. You win. My team's great. And like when they can see when I've had a bad day and they'll come over and give me a hug and they'll be like, Pip, we got this. And I'm like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what one thing i've been saying quite a lot recently is um the you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with but also i think you're the sum of the content that you consume yeah. and i think it's so important like podcasts like this I, like podcasts mm-hmm. have changed my life like to the way that i think about hard work the way that i think about how i'm going to achieve things to even to to just being able to picture a vision like you're only ever going to be able to achieve what you can see as a possible and when you start looking ahead of that and going actually if i if i completely scrap this and i have this like ludicrous goal as long as you then work back so my my current one to share in the public is i want to do a ted talk so i'm like but i know that's completely fucking outrageous so i'm like so what does that look like well that looks like I need to practice a shit ton to get to the level where I can present well enough to do a TED talk. So work backwards from the goal. That means that I'm going to have to, I've been going around unis and speaking, like I've been speaking at primary schools, literally anywhere I can go where I can just practice speaking, getting the message across. And who knows how long it will take and it might not even happen, but it's the process. It's I'm so enjoying the process of just speaking, learning about speaking, having a really bad talk and going up there and going, <laughs> coming off the stage and going, that didn't go how I thought it was going to go. <laughs> but then, and then again, it's like the sketchbook thing. You could, I think that, and then someone comes up to me and goes, that was amazing. <laughs> and you go, really? That, were you in the same room as me? Like that was rubbish. And they're like, you, you judge yourself far too harshly. Do you know what's amazing about what you described there? It's something in tech. I don't know if you've ever heard of a thing called North Star, but that basically what you described there is your North Star. Right. Um, and that's actually what the OKRs, which I mentioned earlier, um, it's about having this crazy, ambitious, totally out there goal. And that's what you call your North Star objective. And then it's focusing all your energy to get there. And what's amazing about it, there's so much research online. When you have that, everything starts aligning because your brain is totally tuned in to this is my North Star. Um, and it's so powerful. So we've, we've done it at the dots with our OKRs. We have like our North star of what we focus on. And it's amazing how the team, then there's a really clear goal. Even if it's absolutely mental, it means it aligns what we do every day with that goal. And you know, if you say, so we have like OKRs, like you have five key objectives and they, each of them are sort of like a North star. So for example, one of them is to become app of the year on, on, um, on iTunes. And we set that in January we didn't even have an app it was hilarious so it's like we're gonna become app of the year but we don't have an app we're all browser based um and so literally we built the app um and then the next thing apple then contacted us um so they they went through all the apps on the app store and they selected like a um, 15 12 15 to support we're one of them and 
now they're literally helping us like feedback on iterations, all this. And what's mental about that is that never would have happened if we hadn't focused our mind on we're going to become after the year. I mean, we're not going to become after the year in a year, but it's that aspiration of everything we do is we have to build something that is beautiful, engaging, something that's really useful for our community. Otherwise, Apple will never take notice because they all look at. So it's, it's amazing how that like goal. Um, but for me, the long term North Star is just become the next LinkedIn. <laughs> it's so crazy. But I, um, the reason I say that is our LinkedIn was just built for a different generation. And I believe in the power of creativity. I mean, there's, you know, the robots are coming, um, but there are three things machines don't do very well. They don't have empathy. They don't have common sense and they can't mimic that human capability to be creative. And so this work, this kind of workforce, this community we're looking after, these are the ones that will, will fuel our lives moving forward. And so I love supporting Dude, that. that's so powerful. <laughs> so fucking powerful. I've literally got goosebumps. Because it's like, because I know that every single person listening to this, like that's the world that they're in or they want to be in or they're going to be in. And like, they're the fucking winners. Like, and no one realizes it. No one sees it. Yeah. They're like, this when is where- When the robots take over. Yeah, we're, we're the winners. Yeah. If you're listening to this right now, yeah. you're going to win. Like, oh, you know, it, it breaks my heart at the moment because the government obsessed with something um, with STEM, which is, you know, teaching kids at school, science, technology, math, math. Um, the problem is, is there is already technology, for example, that we're experimenting with at the dots where our designers can design uh, and it will code the front end for you. So you don't need a front end engineer. And so the government's just obsessing about churning out more coders, more engineers. Yes, we do need more. But what it's completely forgetting is we ha- we need creativity more. And so like there's a huge movement at the moment is about putting the art in STEM. So it's STEAM, because if you don't have creativity at the heart of what you're building from a technology standpoint, for example, all of that's going to be automated and so yeah it's just like it it, creativity is the future and that's um that's why i'm like you know i'm on a crazy long journey it's going to be 15 20 years but um yeah in 15 20 years i think linkedin's community will you know they they will have retired (laughs) our community will be the workforce of the future i believe you Um. (laughs) i believe you i do um yeah i think uh, like back on on schools i think that like it's so broken The creative industry is worth, I think it's 93, 93 billion a year. Yeah. And it employs nine, uh, sorry, 11% of the workforce in the UK. Um, and it's just been completely neglected. Yeah. You don't need art at school. Like, <laughs> so ridiculous. Like um, you've said, you've said before you were dyslexia as a superpower. What do you mean by that? Oh, um, so uh, it was really tough when I was little, um, but I, the more I've learned about my dyslexia, I actually started doing talks on my dyslexia because on my emails, um, I have my email signature says delightfully dyslexic excuse typos because I was just sending out so many like r- spelling mistakes. I was like, I've just got to put it out there because, and actually everyone's been so lovely and empathetic about it. You know, that I think they've gone from going, she doesn't know where to put a comma to, oh, I get why she doesn't know how to put a comma. Um, but I started doing talks on it. And the more I started doing talks on it, the more I started understanding my dyslexia. And I found out that 35% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic and 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. And so we're more likely to become entrepreneurs. And if we are entrepreneurs, we're more likely to become successful. So everyone from like um, Anita Broderick to obviously 
the most famous Richard Branson to Steve Jobs was dyslexic. Holly Tucker, who started on on the high street, was dyslexic. And what I'm what was really interesting about that is I was trying to drill why why are we why are we sort of entrepreneurs and. And what I've came to realize is there's some core key traits that I guess make it our superpower. So one, we're highly creative. And the reason being is actually we, there's a huge Yale research project where we take it, we have wider peripheral vision. So humans are like the most sophisticated machines that exist. We take in all these data inputs from the world and we synthesize it into creativity and gut feeling. And so dyslexic have wider peripheral vision. So we're constantly taking in more data input. And so that's how come we sort of connect the dots. Oh my God, I'm so bad. Um, but that's how come we're, we're creative. Um, the other thing is we tend to be more empathetic, um, which tends to make us good leaders. So um, they don't really know why they think maybe because we struggled so much when we were younger we empathize with people who are also struggling um and we tend to have really high levels of perseverance and it's also back to when we were younger we had to persevere through for coping mechanisms to deal with our dyslexia so we know that hard work can really pay off in the long run so all of those traits sort of come together and because of those that's why um it's kind of a superpower because we're more creative we're more empathetic and we'd graft us <laughs> basically we all work and, and that's work. like everything that's involved with the dots down to like you championing championing the underdogs that that must come from there and yeah. the creativity and everything so it kind of yeah it's all packaged you know, up for me i was such a lucky one because my mum worked for a charity and she found out about dyslexia when i was really young and it always kind of i always think what if I hadn't had help that young and for every one of me there's nine who didn't have that support who's a creative genius that got squandered and that breaks my heart so for example on the dots we've actually removed the ability to search by university so we had all these companies searching by central st martins central st martins is wonderful but there are amazing creatives who didn't get central st martins or couldn't afford to go to central st martins so we've just removed or didn't go to uni so we've just removed the ability to search for university so you just can't search people by universities you can search people by their work and that's what people should be judged on is their work and how nice they are (laughs) 100 percent. yeah the work the work is all that matters the work is all there is And so you mentioned you're, you're quite a voracious reader, um, and they say leaders are readers. <laughs> to, uh, to steal a, a Tim Ferriss question, um, what's, the, what's the book that you've given away the most? Oh, gosh, I love, oh, recently, oh, no, now I'll start going down feminist manifestos. Um, (laughs) um, I recently went through a round of investment and that was really grueling. So there is a brilliant book by a woman called Ellen Poe, who is a VC in the US, and it really uncovers the biases that exist in how people get invested. So just to put it in context, only 9% of women um, get seed investment here um, in the UK and at my level, only 2.3% goes to women. And so that was a really powerful book for me because it, it demystified why it's so hard, which helped me as a coping mechanism when I was getting investment. I'm also obsessed with the future of work so and happiness. So um, things like um, The Robots Are Coming is an amazing book that literally just, it's, it's a bit dystopian, but I'm an optimist, so I'm able to spin it and look at it around it talks about everything that's going to be automated and it doesn't really talk about creativity so i'm like yes everything you're right everything else is going to be automated and creativity isn't um and then the other one is just a it's a bit of a dry one but it's called getting to yes um and it's about negotiations and i found that one of the things i really struggled with was when i was raising investment for example or just negotiating anything i really struggled with that process 
And it is just an amazing book if you're looking to negotiate a rate or a salary or anything, because it really helps you um, negotiate to a good place for both sides. So I'd recommend anyone who's trying to negotiate a salary or a rate or a contract, read that book or listen. It's way easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, I think but for creative people, like books and podcasts are, are the key because um, you've already got your creative skill down. And that's the fun part to practice. The hard part is that everything else that you're going to need that, that goes on, that goes alongside it. And you, yeah, I mean, if you just read, you'll, you'll get all of that stuff. So, um, so has it, has it been hard for you as a woman in tech? Because I mean, or as a woman entrepreneur, like, um, and raising investment and obviously the, the low figure that you quoted there, like have you found it difficult or are you just kind of like, again, blindly, like not seeing it and naively going in and being like, gender is, is just not a consideration. It has been difficult, but it's also been an advantage. So there's like always two sides to both coins. So, I mean, it is very hard in terms of pitching for investment as a woman. You know, there were certain meetings when I go in with my amazing COO and they'd speak directly to him, not to me, even though poor John was so embarrassed. He's like, and Pippa CEO. But what I love about that is that's just a bad person. And so what I get is a very early indication of if they're a good or a bad person right from the outset, which is probably an advantage that my male co or male founders wouldn't have they might take that person's investment and that person's just a bad person so i think it is, it was harder to raise but it meant that i ended up with absolutely exceptional shareholders because of it because i was able to get those early indications of who are good or bad um, but it is a challenge for women because what generally happens is people invest in things they understand. And when it is a primarily male investment landscape, they don't understand things that have social responsibility at their heart, for example, or they don't understand female products. I mean, you know, Natalie, who started Net on Net Supporters, she's the really famous example. She could not raise money for love nor money because no, no one could understand fashion. They didn't understand that anyone would ever buy fashion online. I mean, girl. so this is, this is the sort of problem that happens you know and there is no silver bullet we need to get more women investors involved we need to, but what is great is there are op other opportunities now there's like things like crowdcube and suders where you can actually raise investment from the crowd or your community um you know there's obviously things like kickstarter there are other alternative ways i mean we're backed by um i wanted to make sure i had a diverse um shareholder base so we're backed by angel academy that only invest in female founders we're also backed by gangels who only invest in executive teams that are lgbt so um and i'm i'm my ceo is so it's like basically that's kind of you know there are now more opportunities out there but it's um yeah it's, it's a hard I, I you know i have massive respect for people like holly tucker who started not on the high street i mean when she started a business it was a whole it was even than it is now so it is getting easier um, which is great that's great so do you think that that's it's kind of being perpetuated and the and the younger males that are coming up are, are still living in that world or is it like kind of the the older guys are going to drop off and it's not going to be a thing anymore and we're not really going to see I think see it. it's the older guys will drop off I think also um me too's been brilliant in one respect that it scared a lot of VCs into taking action so an example of this is that I spoke at a something called Founders for Her um this um uh conference I spoke there 
two years ago and there were no men in the room. It's just all women. I spoke there this year and it was like 50% VCs in that room, male VCs in that room, all looking for deal flow. And I think it's kind of scared them into shit. Maybe we should start looking at female led businesses. So it's kind of been a Yeah. Positive. And also look, I mean, for us, when we're, when we're looking for guests, like I, I, our, our list of guests so far is like, it's, 70 percent female maybe yeah, more very heavily um, yeah, maybe more. i'm not finding any uh, like inspiring male people that i want to interview it's crazy mm-hmm. like i i don't know whether they're not marketing themselves well or they're just kind of behind the scenes doing amazing work but everything everyone that we're finding because i mean obviously we're looking within the creative industries but we're finding that the that the leaders are tend to be female Oh my god i love that you say that that's like the opposite to what i always hear <laughs> so funny i'm constantly hearing from conferences for example oh, we, there just aren't enough women speakers and I, I actually created a list at the beginning of the year because i was like oh my gosh they're so hot. i've seen so yeah. many amazing women speak there's so many conferences that are still using the excuse that either women there just aren't women at the top of their game that we can bring on stage or then they use the classic example of oh they've said no because they've got a kid at home and you're just like oh my gosh but um but it's so amazing you say that so i love you <laughs> i saw something on twitter where there was a certain conference and they'd they'd only just released they released that they were looking for female speakers and the and the conference was next week and then and they like and then i just was going through the comments i was like this is crazy and looking through the comments and someone had commented like maybe you would have more female speakers if you'd announced it like sooner than a week before the actual conference. So yeah, I mean, there are people playing a silly game, aren't there? But uh, yeah, but I think it's, I think it's, it's going to change. And I think when people look at uh, businesses, like some of the businesses that you mentioned that are absolutely like slaying everything and making millions that people will be stupid to not, I mean, <laughs> be stupid not to get involved, wouldn't you? Like you're leaving money on the table by not investing in, in female entrepreneurs. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so um, I have a bit of a problem with that title entrepreneur. I got profiled in the financial times and they called me the, the spray can entrepreneur. Yes. And I was nearly <laughs> sick in my mouth. It's, like, it's, it's, I, I hate the, I hate that label. Like, how do you, re- I'm the same. Do you know it's what? So I, I've tacky, started having to come to terms with calling myself it. Cause I get so funny, especially at like tech events, you know, it's a, but I am, um, yeah, I'm exactly the same. It seems really weird. I, I like founder best founders, my kind of like, you know, that's yeah. that I'm, I'm a founder. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's weird. Like going through like customs, what do you do? Entrepreneur? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some people are so willing to like, just to, li- to live by it, aren't they? Like, yeah, oh, yeah I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. Because you know what that means. That means I hustle every day. <laughs> I, uh, with a little side of crushing it. Um, it's like, oh my God. And people who put it in their like Instagram bios and stuff like that. It's like, oh my God. So yeah, so that, that, um, that profile was, uh, I think in 2013. And um, that was the time where it was kind of starting to become trendy to be an entrepreneur. And I, I actually did put it in my Instagram um, profile. And then I found that everything that was being advertised to me from that point on was for people that are definitely not an entrepreneur. So it goes to show that the people who are, who are like get rich quick, five easy tips to success. I was getting all of those things because I had the word entrepreneur in my bio. Yeah, you and get advertised like, with like Lamborghini, big watches, things yeah. that aren't something that I ever really think I want. 
And it's just like, a, oh, because you're an entrepreneur, this is what you have. And it's just you're like, aspiring, oh. you're aspiring to that, <laughs> yeah. that lavish lifestyle, which yeah. we all want. If like, it said entrepreneur, this is how you edit videos quicker. I'd be like, great, it's actually yeah. really useful. But like Lamborghinis is not something that I'm ever interested in. <laughs> Yeah, it's so mental because, like, you know, I mean, that whole get rich quick is such a fallacy. Like, I don't know any founder who's, you know, one, I know the success, most successful founders don't just do it for the money. Like, they do it for something deeper because... Yeah, you can't. You, you can't. If you're just doing it for the money, you, the first couple of hurdles you hit, you'll be like, you know what, sod that, I'm going to yeah. go get a job. Because um, it'll take 10 years. And if you don't, and if you don't enjoy it, then you'll quit. Yeah, and when I mean, you're going through those hard times, you need to actually love it because if you don't, then you're like... Yeah, completely right, like... So, yeah, it's hilarious, that whole, yeah. Go for founder. <laughs> Adam and I did a, did a job many, many years ago when we were very first starting. We ended up getting locked in JCB's offices. Um, well, it wasn't even factory, their offices, was it? it? It was like in a factory. So we got this gig where um, we traveled, where was it? Like Derby? Near, near or- Derby, yeah. So we, we literally like, I mean, we, we do anything at the time. Like if you need paint on your ice cream van, whatever it is, we're there. We'd, we'd paint anything. And, uh, but for us, like at that point, like JCB, what a huge client for us. Like that was, it was a, yeah. a name that we'd heard of for a start. So we, we put all of our paint in our suitcases and we dragged it onto the train and like, and we had ladders and everything, didn't yeah. we? And just ridiculous. So we tried, cause yeah, we couldn't afford to get a cab or hire a van or anything like that. So public transport missioned it out there out to this and and so they had like a, a like a you know creating a museum a museum that's the word i was looking for um of of all of like tractors through the age of, or diggers or whatever it is they make i don't know <laughs> and um and yeah we were we were in there and we we're painting away and then we just sort of realized that there's anyone else around and then we realized that we were we were locked and we had to climb over the fence. In the yeah, we had to get yeah. some bins, climb over spiky fences. I mean, the, the traditional the graffiti artist story, only we were breaking out. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's just, but I mean, you look back on those times and it's like, at the time we were like, oh my God, this is the worst job ever. This is absolutely sucks. And then we look back now and it's just like, amazing. Yeah. Do you remember when we got locked in JCBs? Yeah. Like, have you got any, uh, any memories of when you were like very first starting up? Well, like the times when you thought like, Am I absolutely mental for doing this? Oh, so many times. You know, I mean, God, I mean, I literally, you know, I lived on nothing for year one. I mean, you just, yeah, I I found every place in London where they do free drinks. It's great. In London, you can actually drink for free all year round. Just go to the openings. It's great. Yeah, Um, we used to do gallery openings. (laughs) We used to see you and we're like, yeah, I saw you last (laughs) week. Yeah, Yeah. straight in, one drink, straight out again. And just, you know, I mean, the reason I live on a boat is it's a cost effective way to live in London. So we started the, 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 the business on the boat as well. So I got to six people on Horace, um, wow. which became a proper health and safety issue, yeah. especially because <laughs> Laura always wears heels to work. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so going to lose her over the bed. <laughs> um, the only way I could get like phone signal was like lady out the hatch dropped a couple of phones which when you're starting a business you're like oh that was a really expensive expensive mistake I think yeah I mean there's there's really tough times I you know the ones that break my heart is when um 
you know, I make a mistake in terms of hiring because like that's um, I've learned the hard way that one bad apple can really rot a barrel in a business. And I become very involved in hiring. So the first thing whenever I hire someone now is I check for values fit because I've found actually if they don't have shared values with us, they're just not going to work out. So our values are things like collaboration, positivity, diversity. If they don't share that. So, you know, I've had times where I've brought someone into the business where it's just just a, it's just a nightmare. I mean, what happens is you get wooed by someone because they look like amazing on paper and they've got all this brilliant experience and actually working in a startup environment it really everyone has to roll their sleeves up and do everything from the menial work to the big work and so I think my natural instinct as a female leader was to kind of nurture them through it and give them actually what I should have done is I should have just let them go straight away when I knew it was wrong because um, then you know one example is someone just stayed in the business way too long and it just started being negative and just it became a bit political and it just yeah. didn't work. And so it's kind of those moments when I'm, I think they're the ones that kind of get me most because that then drains my energy so much yeah. when you're having to deal with politics. And so I'm, I have zero tolerance for politics now in the office. Everyone has to be positive, but not, I want everyone to challenge me, but they have to be focused on solutions, not problems. Because as soon as it starts to become a blame game, you're just screwed because things go wrong all the time. You need a load of teams to get together and go, how can we fix this? Boom, we got this, that yeah. kind of stuff. So. Yeah, and you're, yeah, it's collaboration is so fucking Yeah, fun. it's so important. Right, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> so um, so I've got fun. one, like one last question. Um, what do you think about luck? Um, and because I was thinking like a lot of people might think um, you're going for app of the year, you've got your big vision and then all of a sudden Apple picks you out of, of thousands of apps to be one of the 15 people that they're, that they're there. What, what do you think about luck and how, how does luck manifest itself? I believe in luck. I believe in believe in luck and serendipity, but I believe you can make your own luck and serendipity. So, um, you know, there are amazing things that happen in my life when I just need them. But what I've realized is that's come from the network I've built. So, you know, just as I'm needing some help, somehow I know someone who's doing it or I've stumbled on someone at an event who knows someone who can help me make that connection or introduce me to someone. So like, I, I do feel like if you really focus on like that North Star vision, things do align around you, but you have to make your own luck by being out there, being nice to people and then drawing on that network and amazing things can happen. So it's, yeah, serendipity and luck definitely play into it, but it just doesn't happen by chance. It, I know that's almost like a contradiction. <laughs> Um, it happens by being a nice person, being out there, putting yourself out there. And then literally when you need things, the world does seem to align and bring it to you. But without that kind of kindness and network, that wouldn't necessarily happen. But even luck, but you make your own luck. Boom. That's perfect. <laughs> so where can these guys find you online? Just, just Google Pip Jamison um, and the dots the same. Just find us there or download the app. There we go. <laughs> Okay. Thanks so much. Oh, my absolute pleasure. It's been so much fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. 
See ya. Yeah.